1: Father, thank you for this blessed day, and I thank you for all those who took time out of their busy day and season to come just to worship you. And Father, as the angels sing, let us also sing. Father, as the shepherds hear, may we also hear and obey. And Father, may we respond as the world rejoices that Christ has come with us. Be with us this morning. Lord, help us as we just celebrate your presence, as we express our love to you. Lord, that you may be glorified and we may be renewed for who you are and what you've done. We praise the name of Christ. Amen. You know, when there's always these things many times when you think, you know, you, you count your blessings and the gifts that God has given you. And today we get to celebrate one. I don't uh, sing his praise as much, and I know you wouldn't want this because we're going to point to Christ, but I'm thankful for Dustin and for Sarah. They're just a gift that keeps giving, and it's a wonderful opportunity to, that I was able to give and say, hey, could you do this Christmas service? It's a big day, and uh, with no pressure on we're talking about this Christmas Day, what Christ has done for us. and He's going to come and share from us from the Word. So, with no applause, but with just start our hearts and our Bibles open, I'm going to ask Dustin to come and just share with us from the Word of God.
2: Merry Christmas. You're welcome, by the way. Just me and Sarah. Oh. Uh, well, it's a good morning. Um, this morning we're going to be talking about Pleased as Man with Men to Dwell, a Winter Holiday Sermon. Just kidding. I just figure any of you? I hope so. Okay. If you don't get it, talk to me later. By the way, does anyone still have any shopping? No, really, last minute people? All right, just checking. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. I'm so glad to be here with you on this joyous morning. You um, can in, spirit in the sanctuary this morning. Um, it's such a great blessing to gather as a body of Christ on this very morning on which we celebrate the birth of our Savior. It's Christmas. We're here. It's the climax of the whole Advent season. And if you were with us last night, we were spending some time meditating on the meaning of the four weeks of Advent through the four candles that represent this period of waiting, um, awaiting the coming of the Messiah. And so we meditated on the hope that the birth of Christ brings. The the preparation that is necessary to receive him. The joy that the birth of Christ brings. And the love of God which is seen through the sending of his son. And so maybe last night you had a a time of reflection. Uh, Maybe you tried to kind of reorient yourself to the true meaning and joy of Christmas. Maybe through the grace of God you succeeded in that. Maybe you didn't though. Maybe you're feeling distracted in this season. Just being so caught up in everything that comes with Christmas here kind of in America, that you've lost sight of what exactly we're celebrating and why we're doing it. I know I, I felt this way. I mean, there's, there's just so many things going on during the season, good and bad, that it's easy to lose sight of the importance and significance of what this entire season means. And so I think of some of the things that distract me sometimes from the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, sometimes it's good things like just all the food that comes around this time of year, cookies. Candy canes, kids, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe a Christmas turkey or a ham. Those Starbucks drinks that everyone spends a fortune on. A- everyone has their poison when it comes to Christmas, you know. For me, it's those white chocolate covered Oreos. Oh man, those are good, you know. Um, or eggnog. Any eggnog fans in the house? Okay, like two. All right, I, I like it. Um, I don't know what's wrong with the rest of you. Sarah's a hater, but that's okay. We gotta stick together. So that's kind of all the good stuff that distracts us, uh, the food, but there's the trees, the lights, the fresh winter air, the fireplace, the gifts, the songs, the scarves, the parties, the ugly sweaters, and there's just a lot of good things that come with Christmas, and there's nothing wrong with those things. It's okay to enjoy those things and be happy with them. Those are kind of the seasonal things, but if we give them a priority, they can distract us from the true meaning of Christmas. And at the same time, there's a lot of stressful things that come with Christmas. The stores, the lines, the parking, the traffic. The stress of the last minute shopping, the stress of finding that perfect gift, the money being spent, and for some people, terrible family situations. Some people, it's loneliness. They say that Christmas, for a lot of people, is the most depressing season of the year. And so there's all this good stuff and bad stuff that comes with Christmas um, that can distract us from the true meaning, the true joy of what Christmas is really about. Um, And I'm not saying to get rid of any of the good things. We can enjoy them but we need to view them through the correct lens. We have to view the entire Christmas season through the correct lens, uh, which is the lens of the Holy Scriptures, of the Bible, through the lens of God's Word. And one of the awesome gifts we have with the Christmas season is that all of these songs that we sing are just filled with Scripture, more so a lot of times than the songs we sing the rest of the year. And so those help, but it also helps to be here this morning. And that's why we're here we're somewhere, maybe you're somewhere on that scale of, of the good and the bad of Christmas and, and being distracted, and, and we're here. Maybe it's tough to be here this morning. I know it kind of upsets some of the traditions and things that we have normally going on on Christmas morning, but we're here. And so my goal this morning is to use uh, your time effectively and productively. The best way that, that I think we can do that is by simply focusing on Jesus this morning through God's word. And so that's what we're going to do I was talking to Nicole this week, and we were kind of talking about just how travel and just all the, you know, just kind of how this upsets the normal things we do on Christmas morning. And she she said something really great that kind of stuck with me as I was preparing the sermon. She said, you know, but it will be cool to have a unique time on Christmas morning to kind of reorient ourselves to the true meaning of Christmas. And I think that's key, and and that's what I want to do this morning. So as, as we're looking at God's Word this morning... Be asking, God, how how can I reorient myself? How have I been distracted this season? Um, And and how can I focus more on you and on what you have for me this morning, God? And so let's do that. And with that, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would grant this morning that we would engage in contemplating the mysteries of your heavenly wisdom with ever-increasing devotion this Christmas season, Lord, all to your glory and our edification. Amen. Now, to accomplish that goal, that that goal of reorienting us to the importance of Christmas, I want to take a look at a, uh, not untraditional piece of scripture, but one that often gets left out in my mind during the Christmas season. Most Christmas sermons are from Matthew or Luke, right? You get the, kind of the the Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the angels, the innkeeper, the wise men, and Frosty. I'm just kidding. That's a different Christmas story. Um, But we're not going to be talking about that this morning. Matthew and Luke obviously are important. They look at the birth of Christ kind of from a historical perspective or from a human perspective, you might say. Um, but this morning, I want to look at the entrance of Jesus into the world from God's perspective or more of a theological perspective. So we're going to take a look at what it means that God came in human flesh. What, what does it mean that the, the Son of God was born as a man? And so to reorient us, to, to reorient you and me, We're going to look at one kind of main truth, and that's this. The mystery of Christmas is this, that Jesus Christ, the eternal word of God, became a true human to show us what God is like. That's kind of where we're headed this morning. In other words, maybe another way to say it would be, Jesus came down to earth to explain God to us. God, without ceasing to be God, became a human to display for us, his character. And so to see that, we're going to look at the very first chapter of the gospel according to John. And we could spend weeks here, uh, but we'll have to settle for a very brief treatment of it this morning. And so with that, would you turn with me to the first chapter of John? And so we're just going to see some things here in John that I think will be helpful to us to reorient ourselves to the the correct view of Christmas. And the first thing we're going to see is that Jesus is by very nature God. Jesus is by very nature God himself. Now, this is a simple statement, but not so easy to understand maybe. What God is, Jesus is. And so look at John 1, 1 through 5. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And what we see in this verse is that the Christmas story started before time ever began. Before creation even happened, the Christmas story started. Because the Christmas story starts with Jesus, and Jesus has always existed. Now, just in verse 1, John is communicating so many things about Jesus. He calls him the Word of God. And basically, what that means is that Jesus is God's communication. Um, and, and so let's, let's break it down. Look at the things we see, just even in this first verse. First, Jesus has existed eternally, forever. He always existed before anything was ever created. Now, not in a physical body, but Jesus has always existed. Jesus emphasizes this in John 17 when he's praying. He says, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. So we see that Jesus has always existed. Secondly, John tells us just in this first verse that in this pre-existent state, Jesus was with God. He says "And the word was with God. Now, this statement With God communicates a little bit more in Greek than we're able to in English, because in Greek there are many ways to say with, uh, just a simple preposition, but the one that John uses here is not the most basic form of with, it's actually a form that communicates an idea of relationship. It's It's a word that in the Gospels is only used when two people are involved. And so we see that the word was in some form in relationship with God before the world existed It's only used when two people are involved. This is one of those phrases that's translated many different ways. And I think by looking at some different translations, it'll help us get a better sense of what's going on. Some versions say, the word was very close to God. Some versions say, the word was in God's presence. Some say, the word was in close fellowship with God. Some say, the word was face to face with God. And some say, I kind of like this one, the word was in God's home. What does this tell us? Well, it tells us that Jesus, who existed before all things, was somehow distinct from God because he was in relationship with God in some way. And that may sound a little strange, but it it will get clear as John continues. The point is, if there's just one singular person, you can't be in relationship. So there's a mystery going on already. And let's look at the next piece of the verse, one, to see if that explains it. John then says, And the Word was God. In other words, the Word was by nature what God is, or what God was, the Word was. And so this Word, Jesus Christ, is somehow distinct from God, and yet John says, is by nature God. And that is exactly the formula for the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one being, in one nature. And so John details that in one simple sentence, the most simple use of language He explores the mystery that is the Godhead. Uh, So far, in one sentence, we've seen that John has told us that Jesus has existed always, that he was with God, and that he is God. Now, if you're not convinced yet of what John's saying, he gives us even more proof. Look at how he continues. He says, all things were made through him, and without him, not anything was made that was made. And it sounds redundant because it is. John is trying to make the point that, look, nothing came into existence except through Christ, except through Jesus, except through the word of God. Think about it. Think about creation in Genesis. How does God create? God creates by speaking. Jesus is the word of God. You see the connection there. When God created, he said, let there be light. He said, this is all through Jesus, John is telling us that the entire universe exists because of Jesus. Every molecule, every rock, every plant, every animal, every human exists because of Jesus Christ. And Paul makes the same exact point in Colossians 1:16 when he says this, "For by him, he's talking about Jesus, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, Or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him." And this is the United Testimony of the entire New Testament. The man, Jesus of Nazareth, who walked this earth 2,000 years ago was himself God in the flesh. This is foundational to the Christian faith and people have been attacking this claim since the very beginning. Some say, Well, the writers of the New Testament never really actually claimed Jesus was God. And some will say, okay, well, maybe John did. But no one else did. I mean, clearly we've seen that proved wrong here in John. But but let me give you just a few other places real quickly where the New Testament writers make explicit the truth that Jesus is God. This is just a sampling, but John again says in John 20, 28, Thomas says when he sees Jesus after his resurrection, Thomas says, what does he say? My Lord and my God. He says that when he sees Jesus. In Romans 9.5, the Apostle Paul writes this, To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, the Messiah, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. In Titus 2.13, the Apostle Paul writes this, Waiting for our blessed hope, The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. In Hebrews 1.8, the author writes this, But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And finally, in 2 Peter 1.1, Peter writes this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the united testimony of all the scriptures. Jesus Christ is by nature God. Not a God, not simply a divine creature, but God himself in the flesh. And so when we celebrate Christmas, we're not celebrating the birth of a nice prophet or a nice moral teacher, some type of divine figure, We're celebrating the very entrance of God himself into our world. The very giver of life, the very creator, as John tells us, has entered into his own creation. The one who shines the light into the darkness of this world and against whom the darkness will not prevail. It is the birth of him as a human that we celebrate this morning. So where does John take us next? I mean, he's told us about this divine witness, and now he's going to tell us about a human witness to Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our second point this morning, that Jesus is the promised one. Jesus is the light who is coming. He's the promised Messiah that the entire Old Testament pointed to. So let's look at, look at John 1, 6 through 8. It says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. I'm talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness About the light. And so, simply, this tells us that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that the entire Old Testament pointed to. And just briefly, let's look at that because the point here is that John, John the Baptist, as we'll find out later, John makes it clear, came on the scene before Jesus and spent his entire life telling people, the people of Israel, to turn from their sin because their long awaited Messiah was coming. The Savior was finally coming to his people. And so John points this out, clearly telling us that God sent John the Baptist to do this ministry. And it's amazing, just as a side note, how God uses very ordinary people to accomplish his plans. Obviously, God does not need to use humans to do these things, and yet he chooses to. It's amazing. uh, In his great mercy. And so God sends John to testify to Jesus' coming. And he tells us why in verse 7. So that all might believe through him. Now, this verse introduces kind of one of the key words that ends up coming throughout the Gospel of John, this idea of believing. In fact, John tells us at the end of his Gospel that the whole reason he wrote the Gospel was so that whoever reads it, whoever would hear its words, would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, God in the flesh, and would therefore receive eternal life. Look at how he phrases at the end of his Gospel in John 20. Uh, Next slide, there we go. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, the Apostle John wrote this book that you would believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, and John the Baptist came before Jesus for the same reason, to foretell his coming. Now, maybe you're here and you don't believe this stuff, or, or you're seriously doubting, and you're kind of thinking, I don't buy it, I don't, I don't buy all this Jesus stuff. But the testimony of both of the Johns is that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the Savior. And they would tell you, as would I, that you need to open your heart this morning to that truth, to hear their witness. And the beautiful thing about gathering on Christmas is if you look around, or well, really every Sunday, you'll have a chorus of people singing that same witness that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the Savior. And many of us would gladly testify to that truth, to the faithfulness of God. And so John tells us that Jesus is by nature God, that he's the promised Messiah. But then the question arises, well, what should our response be? He's kind of hinted at it with the believing, but, but what happens when the promised Messiah comes into his own creation? And that brings us to our third point, is that Jesus is rejected by some, and received by others. When Jesus is presented, when when he finally arrives here, he gets rejected. Some reject him, ultimately killing him, yet others believe. They believed what he said, they trusted him. We see this in John 1, 9 through 13. It says this: the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so verses 9 through 10 reflect the fact that Jesus has been coming into the world since the beginning. In other words, this has always been the plan. It's not plan B. And we saw this when we talked about that Jesus was prophesied from the entire Old Testament. He's always been coming. God has been preparing for his arrival since the beginning. We see this right in the beginning of the third chapter of Genesis. Right after the fall of man, God promises Eve that one day, one of her descendants will crush the head of Satan. This was always the plan. And so Moses testified to his coming. Joshua testified to his coming. The sacrificial system in in Leviticus foreshadowed his coming. All of the prophets testified to his coming. The story of the Bible from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation is the story of the coming of Christ. The Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, really the entire Bible is the story of Christmas. And so he was coming. Jesus was coming. God was preparing to enter into his creation. But he was always in the world. I mean... God created the world. John had just told us that everything was made through Jesus. And so in some sense, he was always in the world because the world was made through him. All of creation is pointing to his existence and pointing to the existence and nature of God. And yet despite this, the world, John says, did not know him, did not recognize him, did not acknowledge him. And and it seems crazy, but... This is the truth, that the creatures that he created refused to acknowledge him. Actually, more the truth is that they will not acknowledge him. They, They refuse, but that's not the end of it. Look at what John says in verse 11. He says, he came to his own. In other words, he came to his own people, his own household. But even they rejected him. The people of Israel, in large part, rejected their king, their Messiah. He came to his own people and was greeted with cries of, Crucify him. Crucify him. And so what we see here in John is that the world is divided between two types of people. Those who reject Jesus and those who receive him. Those who say, Jesus, I do not believe you are who you say you are. I'm going to be the king in this life. And those who say, Jesus, I believe you are exactly who you say you are. And I acknowledge you as king. My life is yours. John says in his first letter that whoever refuses to acknowledge Jesus has called God a liar because they've said that you are not who you say you are. And so I want you to see this this morning, that, that this act of rejection, of refusing to acknowledge Jesus, is not a, it's not a neutral act. In other words, people are not neutral when they refuse to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. John makes that clear later on in chapter 3, 19, when, when he gives us the reason that people reject Jesus. He says, and this is the judgment, that light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. In other words, people reject Jesus, reject the light that he brings because they're too scared that it shines the light on their own sins. John says that's why people reject Jesus, because they want to do what they want to do. They don't want someone telling them what's right and wrong. They don't want God having authority over their life. And so there's no neutrality. You you don't get to be neutral in this. None of us do. We're not afforded the option of getting to decide what's right and wrong. We either receive Jesus fully or reject him fully. You can't sit on the fence. Jesus doesn't leave us that option. And so I I would pray that some of you here today who may be rejecting Jesus or or thinking you can kind of be neutral, I would pray that by the end of this morning you would see the, the foolishness of that decision and that you would see the beauty of Christ. And be utterly humbled by him. And so John writes that that some rejected him. Some will reject him, but others, he says, received him. Some said, No, Jesus, get out. We don't care who you are. We don't want anything to do with you. But others confessed, along with Thomas, my Lord and my God. And look at verse 12 the ones who received Jesus are those who are believing in his name. It's a present tense verb. It's it's those who are continually placing their trust in who Jesus is, in who God is. And for those, John says, for anyone who will place their trust in Jesus, God says, I will adopt you as my child, as my son, as my daughter. And look, John tells us, who are those that believe? Who are those that trust in God? It's those who are born of God. In other words, John is telling us, it's all grace. It's all a gift from God. It's free. Paul writes in Ephesians that by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. That is the good news. And and it's amazingly good news and it's humbling news because it means that if you're sitting here this morning and and you, you love God and you're a child of God and your trust is in Christ, that it's not because of how awesome you are. And it's not because of how good you could be, and it's not because of how many times you chose not to sin, or, or, or how many good things you've done, or how many bad things you haven't done. It's purely by the grace and gift of God that you're sitting here this morning trusting in Him. And it's only because of His goodness that you know Him. And we say, praise God for that. That is the message of Christmas, and that's something to celebrate this morning. But it also means that if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, this Jesus sounds good, but I don't know what to do. I want to receive him, but I don't know how. I've always rejected him. Or, or maybe you're saying, well, I would receive him, but, but I've done too much bad stuff. The truth is that there's only one thing for you to do. Humble yourself before God and pray. Because there's, there's no list of items you have to accomplish before you're good enough to come before God. Because you're not. That's the truth. None of us are. And so prayer is your only option. Pray to God and be honest. Ask him to open your eyes. Ask him to pour out his grace and forgiveness on you. Ask him to show himself to you. Ask him to adopt you into his family. Ask him to humble you. And if you will, by God's grace, simply trust in Jesus Christ. John says, you will be brought into the family, the very family of God. So I pray, would you come into the family this morning? Charles Spurgeon, the famous Baptist preacher, once put it this way. And the statement is just genius in its simplicity. He said, Unbelief will destroy the best of us, but faith will save the worst of us. He said, Unbelief will destroy the best of us, but faith will save the worst of us. And that is so true. And so we've seen that Jesus is by nature God. We've seen that he's the promised one. And we've seen John tell us that some will reject him and some will receive him. But what does his coming look like? I mean, if, if he's God then what's the deal with that? How did he become a human and why? that brings us to our fourth and final point this morning. That Jesus became a human to show us what God is like. Jesus, the eternal word of God, the son of God, united himself with a human nature, becoming a true human so that we might see him and know what God is truly like. You might say it this way Jesus became a human so that he might erase the questions that we have about the character of God, about what God is like. Look with me at John 1, 14 through 18. It says this And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The word became flesh, the the word of God, the The Logos of God entered into humanity. This is is the turning point of this entire section of John, and this is the turning point, really, of all of human history. And this sentence, the Word became flesh, is utterly unique to Christianity because it doesn't say the Word came down to earth. It doesn't say the Word appeared as human or the Word put on a human suit. It says the Word became flesh. The word became flesh. God enfleshed himself, or to use our, our favorite Christmas word, God incarnated himself, which just means infleshed in Latin. And so Jesus became a real, true human. And I think we often forget that. We, we think of Jesus as so divine sometimes that we forget that he was a real, true human. And that's been the confession of the church throughout the ages, as you may have seen in our Sunday school class, that Jesus was truly God and truly human at the same time. This is the mystery of Christmas. This is the point that John is trying to drive home. And I hope you see that this morning. And what does he say next? He says that, that this word who became flesh, he dwelt among us. What humility just that simple statement gives us. What sacrifice? The the eternal God didn't come down just to deliver a message and then leave. He didn't become human just to say something and then go. The eternal God of the universe confined himself, in a sense, to humanity. And not only that, but, but a poor Jewish carpenter in the first century. And it's amazing. Check this out. The word that John uses here that's translated as dwelt is literally the word that's used for tabernacle. So literally, it means that Jesus pitched his tent among us. He, he set up a tent among us. He tabernacled with us. The message paraphrase of this is actually pretty cool. It says, he moved into the neighborhood. And that gets the sense of it very well. He didn't just stop by. He didn't just do a drive-by. He dwelt among us. But to fully understand the gravity, the seriousness and the sacredness of what John is trying to describe here, I want you to think back to the Old Testament. Think back to all the times that people saw God or almost saw God and what happened to them. Think of the tabernacle, if you remember, and on the Holy of Holies and how no one could enter or they would be struck dead by the holiness of God, by his glory. Think of Uzzah who accidentally touched the ark and died on contact. Think of Mount Sinai where God, it's a pretty funny episode actually, I don't know if you remember this, but God speaks to the people of Israel directly. And they tell, no, we don't like that. Go speak through Moses. We don't like when you talk to us because it's terrifying to them. They don't want God to speak to them because it's too scary. And so they ask him again. They say, no, no, no. You tell Moses what you want to tell us and then he'll tell us. We like that better. Or what about the prophet Isaiah? In a vision, he merely sees the hem of God's robe, which Jesus says was him, by the way. And Isaiah says, I'm a dead man. He says, my sins are too much. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm undone. All of this fear, all of this holiness because of our sin, we humans, you see, on our own initiative cannot come near to God. So God came to us. But he didn't just come to us. He didn't stop there. He didn't just come to us. He became one of us. He he became one of us. And so we, brothers and sisters, like John says, have seen his glory. And this is amazing because what John is describing here is that Jesus revealed the glory of the Father to us in a way that no one, nothing else and no one else could. And we've seen it. Now, what is this glory? This glory is the character of God. This glory is the revelation of God to us Showing us what he is like. Remember what happened when Moses asks God up on the Mount of Sinai. He says, God, show me your glory. That's all I want. I want to see your glory. And so God says, okay, you want to see my glory? Well, I can't just show myself to you. You'll die. So here's what I'm going to do. I'll put you in a cleft of the rock. I'll pass by. And then after I pass by, you can look. And so he does this. And what happens? We get... One of the most foundational revelations of God. And so Moses asked God, Show me your glory. And what happens is this as God is passing by, God is declaring these words. And he says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That was Moses' experience. So when Moses wanted to see the glory of God, God said, This is my glory that I'm a God merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in faithful, steadfast love. That's the glory of God. Who He is is His glory. And John tells us here that Christmas is about this revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the personal manifestation of the glorious attributes of God. He is full of grace and truth, John tells us, full of faithfulness. God with us, overflowing with grace upon grace. For us, for those who will humble themselves before him. And he simply intensifies it in verse 17, when John says, when God sent the law, he sent it through a messenger, Moses. But when God revealed grace and truth to us, he did it himself. He came down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And just in case it's not clear, John gives us verse 18, which is really just echoing verse 1. Uh, But look at it. He says, No one has ever seen God. The only God, in other words, Jesus Christ, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Look what he's saying here. He's saying, look, no one has ever seen God. So he says, in a sense, God is unapproachable. But Jesus, God Himself, has shown us Him. He says, God jesus god himself who is in intimate relationship with the father literally in the greek it says who is in the bosom of the father he has shown him to us he has made him known he has explained him to us and you may have heard this before but that that word that's translated as made him known is the word that we get the the term exegesis from the term to dig at the meaning and explain something so when we're studying our bibles and we say we need to exegete this verse it's we need to Find the true meaning and, and tell someone else. It says, Jesus is that of the Father to us. He is the explanation of God to us. He is God's self-interpretation, self-revelation. It's God's answer to the question, what is God like? It's the person of Jesus. And remember what Jesus said to his disciple Philip. When Philip asked Jesus to show him the Father, Jesus said, Philip, don't you get it? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And that is what I want you to see this morning. And that is what Christmas is about. Jesus is the self-revelation of God. The self-interpretation of God. If, If you want to know what God is like, look at the life of Jesus. That's the point. The deeds and words of Jesus are the deeds and words of God. Every word, every action that Jesus did and said reveals something about us, reveals something about God... To us, he became one of us so that he might bridge the gap between us and God. And so God has revealed himself to us. And so you say, You want to know what God is like? Read the rest of John's gospel. Look at the life of Jesus. And what you'll see is you'll see him walking among humanity, healing the sick, forgiving sin, casting down the corrupt religious leaders, preaching against sin with both grace and truth. You'll see him casting out demons. And feeding this hungry and teaching. But ultimately, friends and brothers and sisters, you'll see him go to the cross. Condemned to die a slave's death. And you'll see him suffer the farthest depths of emotional and physical pain. Taking our place on the cross. Paying for the sins of his people. And just when it seems as if all hope is lost. You'll see him resurrected from the dead in glory and power. And so when you look at the life of Jesus... We see the character of God on display for all to see. God overflowing with grace, truth, and love to those who will humble themselves and come to him. God who is forever faithful to his people. God who displayed his love by sending his only son into the world to save those who would believe in him. Not a God who is distant, but Jesus Christ, God with us. That is what Christmas is all about. That is the glory of God and the gospel, that the mystery of Christmas is this, that Jesus Christ, the eternal word of God, became a true human to show us what God is like. And so if you're in Christ, if you're a child of God, that means it's time to celebrate and worship. That is your response. That's our response this morning, this season, and for all of life, celebration and worship and obedience. Praising the God who loves us and whom we love And that is it. We reorient ourselves this morning to him. We lift high his name. We go tell it on the mountain. And we sing as we did. And hark the herald angels sing. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as men with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. But if you're not in Christ. if If you have not received him. If you have not welcomed him. If you've rejected him. It kind of places you at a crossroads. Because you need to respond. You don't have a choice of not responding. What will your response be? You can't remain neutral. You either humble yourself and rejoice along with us or turn your back on God and go your own way. One results in salvation. One results in condemnation. There's, there's no third way. But either way, John has said, and Jesus will say the same, you cannot claim ignorance. And you cannot claim that God never revealed himself because God has displayed himself in the person of Jesus Christ for all humanity to see, and he is full of grace and truth. And so today I pray that you would heed the words of Jesus' very first sermon, Repent and Believe the Good News. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we glorify you this morning, Lord. We worship and praise you this Christmas morning. Father, that you would send your Son to become one of us, to take on human flesh and become a true human, identifying with us in every way. Father, we praise you and thank you for that. Lord, the mystery just blows my mind, Father. And I pray that we would all sit in awe this morning of your goodness and your faithfulness and your grace towards us. Lord, you have lavished your grace upon us and for that we worship and thank you. Lord, we simply... Praise you. And and as we go this morning, Father, as we open gifts, as we eat, as we just talk and and hang out with friends and family, uh, Lord, or as we just sit, Lord, I pray that we would reflect and worship you. God, we are forever grateful to you. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who, who does not know you, would you reveal yourself to them? Lord, would you open their eyes? Would you open their heart to you, to your goodness? to your faithfulness, to your grace. Lord, would you open their eyes to your Son, Jesus, God with us. Thank you, Father. We can only do all these things. We can only offer all these things. We can only be here because of him. And so we pray in his name. Amen.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith@orangevilla.org. at orangefilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangefilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.